But anyway, I've, I've played things close to the best. Ah, uh, just want to go to the verdict. I'm lost. I don't know where I want to go. It's There's dead. the verdict. And we haven't even got to minute one of the actual movie. <laughs> and uh, audience has taken us uh, two hours to get this far. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the movie and all the time we've been talking prior to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I remain Max. Today we'll be covering Logan from 2017, directed by James Mangold, story by James Mangold, screenplay by Scott Frank and Michael Green, starring Hugh Jackman as Logan or the Wolverine, Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier, Daphne Keene as Laura, Boyd Holbrook as Pierce, Stephen Merchant as Caliban, Elizabeth Rodriguez as Gabriella, uh, Richard E. Grant as Dr. Price, and after that, it's a lot of actors who just get pierced with claws. Jason, do you have any trivia for this film? Well, uh, I mean, I, I guess I would say that this is a film, this is for people who have not seen it or uh, have seen it and, you know, don't really follow the X-Men series. This is a film that exists in 20th Century Fox's X-Men series, which began in 2000. This kind of falls at the tail end of that series. Hugh Jackman returns as Wolverine. I would say to date, this is his last performance as Wolverine, but I think he he does appear in X-Men Apocalypse, but we won't talk about that. But well, that's about that. The better. He had played Wolverine at this point for 17 years, and I guess that that needs to be that that needs to be mentioned right here. He had to be coaxed back uh, for this film, but it is by the same production team that made the other X-Men films. At this point, this includes uh, Lauren Schuler Donner, who was the head the head of the Donner Company, uh, Simon Kinberg, who had actually co-written the third X-Men film, uh, X-Men: The Last Stand, and then after that, he had become an executive producer and a producer and a writer so he was he was very involved with the series at that point and then also Hutch Parker this is a film that is distributed by 20th Century Fox produced by the Donner's company TSG Entertainment which is a kind of subsidiary company that kind of at the time developed a lot of 20th Century Fox films okay yeah I, you see that name a lot in the credits I didn't know anything about it yeah uh, TSG Entertainment is just kind of a, a smaller company that develops at the time developed films for 20th Century Fox Fox. 20th Century Fox is now owned by Disney. They were not owned by Disney at this time. And then other production companies, uh, Hutch Parker, one of the co-producers, had his own production company. Uh, Simon Kinberg had his own production company. And then, of course, Marvel, even though this film is not part of the MCU, none of the X-Men film in the 20th Century Fox universe are part of the MCU. Longtime fans will know that, but I'll just kind of throw that out there and say it. But So at this point in the X-Men series, a lot of the characters in the X-Men had been recast. Younger performers, they were all meant to be regulars in the series. So um, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, who was also in this film, were probably intended to be retired at this point. So uh, Hugh Jackman did point out that he needed to be kind of coaxed back, uh, that he would only come back if there was a good script. And so they, uh, James Mangold, who had directed The Wolverine, which had been the previous solo Logan slash Wolverine movie with Hugh Jackman, was intended to make this film and Hugh Jackman enjoyed working with him he enjoyed working with Lauren Schuler Donner and he decided that if the script was good that he would come back now Max you had mentioned that screenplay was written by Scott Frank and Michael Green yes based on a story by John uh by James Mangold yeah by James Mangold who is the director so James Mangold the director was absolutely and is absolutely the artistic driving force of this film he came up with the story it, it, it is based on an original comic story that Max will tell you about, but James Mangold uh, took the elements of this story and turned it into a treatment that was turned into a screenplay that coaxed Hugh Jackman back as what was intended to be, and I think to the, to date we can say still remains his last performance as the Wolverine, and to date is still the story that he wants to go out um, at, at, as being just a, a, a story that he's proud of. This is a rated R film. It's um, one of the only comic book films that I can think of is rated R. The Deadpool movies. The Deadpool, which which are almost like comedies, so I don't even think of those. Yes, yes. Before we get into to that trivia about 
how James Mangle came up with the story. I'd just like to say something about the character of Wolverine. Wolverine w- Logan, uh, the Wolverine, was created by Len Wein, Roy Thomas, and with with input by the great John Romita Sr. Way back in, uh, in 1974, Wolverine's first appearance is in Hulk, The Incredible Hulk, issue 180. Now, this is a bit of trivia that, that some of you guys won't care about, and uh, you can hit fast forward 15 seconds if you don't give a shit. But but the the issue of the Hulk that everybody wants is uh, for this uh, for this Wolverine content is issue 181 because Wolverine is in the book entirely. Hulk and Wolverine fight each other. They fight the Wendigo, yada, yada, yada. If you're a comic book fan, you know that. However, Wolverine appears in the very final pages of the Incredible Hulk issue one. 80 itself, not 181. 181 is the one all collectors want. It's the one that only wealthy comic book fans can buy. If you want to get in and make a solid investment as a reasonable person, you can buy 180 probably in good condition. But uh, at the end of the book, that's where we see our first appearance of the Wolverine. I just wanted to say that for a second because the three people who basically, uh, I, I, let me give let me give some credit to Herb Trimpey, who was the artist of the Hulk who brought this concept to life. Herb Trimpey was one of the great Hulk artists on the book for I think almost a decade from the late 60s to the early 70s. I might have that a little bit wrong, but Trimpey was was a great Hulk artist and, and he, he brought the vision of Thomas, Roy Thomas, who is basically uh, Stan Lee's right-hand man for a lot of the 70s, early 70s. Of course, uh, Lynn Wein, one of the great writers, created Man-Thing, yes. created the Wolverine. And in fact, liked the Wolverine so much that when he got pulled off the Hulk and put on the X X-Men, in the giant size X-Men where they create the new X-Men, Lynn Wein and, oh gosh, I can't remember the artist who uh, was part of that book. Uh, giant size X-Men, number one, Lynn Wein said, oh, I like that character from the Hulk that I created. I'm going to drag him over to make him an X-Man. I mean, he was always a mutant, but 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 Lynn Wein took his, his, his creation, uh, his co-creation over to the X-Men. And that's how we get Wolverine and the X-Men. Not necessarily intended to be the player he would later become, but Wolverine, uh, this this small origin, uh, low-key, nobody knew at the time that they were creating a masterpiece. And in, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is uh, I read a little while back in an introduction to a collection of She-Hulk issues by the author uh, Steve Engelbert, I think was his name. Um, he wrote She-Hulk. One of the things that comic book creators sort of seem almost notorious to me for is like sometimes they get pulled from books from the from the titles they're writing before they're done with the storyline or before they're done with characters that they like and so they do is they just take those characters and storylines from whatever book they're working on to the next book that they're working on. Lynn Wein seems to have done that with the Wolverine. Steve Engelbert was working on a bunch of Man-Thing stuff before he moved over to She-Hulk and he just took all those characters from Man-Thing and plopped them into the early issues of She-Hulk. Anyway, I, 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 I don't know if this is important to the development of Wolverine, but like nobody knew at the time that they were they were basically you know creating the next Spider-Man and by that I mean the next super important Marvel character who was going to have three or four titles or be in every book even if he didn't have titles I mean Wolverine is now an Avenger he's an X-Man he's a Defender he's he's been a member of the Fantastic Four I mean, Wolverine right. has been in every major book as a major player in in all, all throughout the Marvel Universe. And uh, I, I think that those humble origins are certainly worth touching on a little bit here. Now, James Mangold very, very loosely seems to be adapting Mark Mylar's Old Man Logan stories. And sometimes you and I talk about the importance of close adaptation. And by that, I mean, like really hewing to the source material. Mangold's approach is much looser because he incorporates characters that weren't in the Mylar stories. And I actually prefer Mangold's Old Man Logan to Mylar's Old Man Logan. In the same way, audience, that I prefer Marvel's Civil War to Mark Mylar's Civil War. I feel that the screen treatments of this material are more believable than Mark Mylar's uh, material. And audience, I would love to hear your opinion on this if you you disagree with me here. But but in Mylar's Old Man Logan, the X-Men are gone. We don't know why when we when, when the story starts. This is an element that is carried over in the Mangold script. We don't know why the X-Men are gone. We don't know why most mutants are gone. 
In the Mylar story, the old man Logan story, the supervillains have won everything. They control it all. Logan exists in a world controlled by super supervillains, and he's trying to just eke out an existence with his wife and kids in, in the area controlled by an insane, incredible Hulk. And while he's doing some work for the Hulk in the Mylar story, the Hulk's kids come and kill his family, and that sets him on the quest that that uh, that is the is the thrust of old man Logan. Um, I Actually, sorry, I didn't take that back. He's asked by Hulk's kids to do to go after the MacGuffin of the old man Logan stories and the Mylar story. He does that, returns and finds that he's he's done he's done the task in time, and the Hulk kids have killed his family anyway before he even got back. And at the end of the book, at the end of Old Man Logan, the whole the 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 the, the gag for the series is that Logan won't pull out his claws. He won't pop his claws. He's done. He's a pacifist when we meet him. Actually, he doesn't want to fight anymore. And only when he finds his kids and his family dead that he's like, oh, all right, I was wrong. I'm, I'm old. I, I'm, I'm what I am. And I'm going to go kill all these people. And he does, he does that. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty well done. I, folks read Mark Mylar's Old Man Logan. It's, it's a good story. It's go ahead. similar to Unforgiven. Which we're going to, I think we're not going to, I think that as we talk about this movie, we're not going to stray far from that movie. But anyway, I'll, I'll get to my thesis, uh, my hypothesis, uh, rather, about, about that later. But in the Mark Mylar story, and this is a key difference between the Mylar story, and if I'm pronouncing that wrong, Mark, email me. Because we know you're listening. We know, we know that along with Peter Jackson, along with Kevin Smith, along with Quentin Tarantino, we know you're listening. Logan is the one who's killed all the X-Men. Logan was, Logan is tricked in the story to believing that the X-Men have been attacked by all their enemies. And so he, he kills all the X-Men's enemies, goes crazy. And after going on this rampage where he defends his friends, Mysterio and Mastermind undo the illusion. And what Logan has done is killed all of his friends. And one of the reasons why he, he's so badly injured in the Mark Mylar story after slaughtering his friends is he tries to kill himself by laying under a train and now logan is not going to die from a train but it does a number on him and it takes him years to heal okay so that's the story that mangled very loosely adapts the other character that he pulls into this story is a character named x23 which in the comic book is a is a, a genetic creation a, 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 an artificial creation by scientists using the i think now audience this is just me speculating here in the in the comic book it's it's a combination of victor creed aka Sabretooth, and James Howlett, James Logan Howlett, the Wolverine, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman's character. X-23 is a, a girl who's a combination of those two people. And the only way I can think that they could do that is if they used the two X chromosomes of Sabretooth and Logan to, to complete the clone, because that's, I mean, that's the only way they could get that. They could use genes from both of them, but obviously, you know, for folks who don't know this, uh, who doesn't, but like, if you're a man, your sex chromosomes are X Y, and if you're a woman, your your sex chromosomes are XX, and so I think that probably they use the XX, they use an X from Logan, and they use an X from from uh, from Creed, and they created this genetic hybrid X two three Laura. So that's a character that's in this movie. She's not in the old man Logan stories at all, and so Mangold has created a. A different story. Um, am, am I off the rails here? Am I going too far into the weeds, Jason? Do you think? Oh, no, not at all. And so Professor X isn't in the story. All the X-Men are dead in the Mylar story. And what we get here is something I think a little more interesting, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves about who's in Logan's life. Because this, this film, while it is adapting loosely some of those things from the comic book, it's also trying to blend it with, with the X-Men universe, right? right. Very, very loosely, because we're going to find out that what we think of what we think about that world what we think we know about the x-men movie verse is not what is not reality that's fiction that people have read or seen the movies the x-men movies something like them happened in logan's life but it was not like what we saw like what we the viewers uh what we who are watching logan saw i don't think and I'll, I'll i'll try and justify that later jason what do you think i've talked a little bit jason tell me what you think i i felt that way for most of the movie yes there was there was an exchange that maybe you've forgotten about where they talk about the Statue of Liberty. Yes, yes, yes. Now, where I'll agree with you, though, is that I think this movie is better viewed as almost a standalone because for people who have watched the X-Men movies up to this point, there's kind of this idea that 
um, the timeline of the original films that we had originally seen was kind of wiped away yeah. by X-Men Days of Future Past. And there was kind of this new timeline that was created. So I don't know if the Statue of Liberty event ever would have occurred. I don't think that's important for this film, though. I, I actually think that this film um, is kind of a loose, a very, I, I, I guess I would challenge what you're saying to an extent. Okay. I, I, I do think that this is part of the series and it is intended to be part of the series, but the screenplay does not make many efforts to adapt it to the timeline that is rather rough, rather jagged, uh, <laughs> rather difficult to follow for people who are not fans of the series. But um, but there's you know there is there is a minimal effort to kind of plug it into that timeline. So, but really, I think that Mangold chose to kind of lean into the dramatic material of the storyline. Well, here I'm going to front load this a little bit, audience, uh, and 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 for you, Jason, you can we can debate this point as we go on. I think that the X Men movies that we've seen prior to Logan are sort of like the sensational journalistic treatments that sometimes get made about real events that weren't that aren't true necessarily. Like I, I, I for me, for me, the previous installments um, because of the way they've set the film, they've set the film after a few years after the end of Days of Future Past, so it doesn't interfere with any of the other timelines. That was an intentional choice by Mangold to not upset any of the previous timeline. But what I want to say is I think that those previous films, something like those films happened, but they were mangled by people who wrote about them, people who did movies about them. And most of what people understand about them is quote unquote, the popular treatment. They're not, they're approximations about what happened. They aren't really what happened. So that's why when, when we get the, when, when we get to talk about, you're going to see her at the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Liberty was a long time ago, Charles. Something like what happened in X-Men 1, which that is referencing, happened. But it's not necessarily what we saw in X-Men 1. So it's kind of like, uh, for listeners, any of you have, uh, that have seen The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, you know, there's a quote from that movie, when when the legend becomes history, print the legend. Exactly. And and I that's what I thought this time watching this film. And I thought it on probably the second viewing or the third viewing of, of Logan. I've watched it, Logan a few times. It's one I haven't watched a lot, audience, even though it's it's one of my favorite. It's maybe my favorite of the X-Men movies, actually. But, but uh, it, there's uh, the verdict. Uh, <laughs> shit. Audience, there we go. All right, podcast over. Bye. Uh, pretend I didn't say that, audience, and we'll continue. I didn't have that that idea about Print the Legend until uh, this year, actually. I mean, and I, I wondered if you would see that too, Jason. Did, did that did that occur to you, or is it only occurring to you now that I've made these brilliant observations? But really, it's only occurring to me now, even though there's no doubt that what you're talking about uh, is definitely manifest in other scenes in the movie. Uh, so listeners, in a while, we're going to get to this point where there are actually comic books uh, that the young girl in the in the film, X-23, that she, right? Did she read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laura reads these, these she has these comic books she yeah. has these x-men comics and logan looks at them and he sees them as total bs that you know this isn't what happened you know this is all a lie this is all a myth and all this kind of thing so there's no doubt that that is an element to the screenplay i had not seen it in the way that you're describing that even the earlier films that people have people who watch this film have probably seen these earlier films that even those films are just kind of a, a kind of a distillation of what actually happen yeah right? so that's, yeah that's, that's new to me it, it, it to me that that idea adds a lot of depth to this film and so I, so we're kind of front-loading some material here and we haven't even got to minute one of the actual movie <laughs> And uh, audience has taken us uh, two hours to get this far because uh, we haven't even gotten to the movie and all the time we've been talking prior to the podcast. So, so that's that's what Mangold was adapting, but he was also kind of trying to blend those story that story into this, and I, that sort of leads us to the opening scene of the film, doesn't it? And and I'm sorry if I'm not remembering this properly. The film sort of opens on Logan's Logan sleeping in a car, right? Yeah, well, not just in a limo, and it's it's jostling and, and shaking, and he comes to realize that people are uh, bothering his car. Yeah, right. 
Logan is part of what we're, we're going to come to learn is Logan is is part of the gig economy. He's he's a driver. Yeah. He's driving a limo. He gets out and he finds these gang members stripping his car. And he says, hey, guys, you know, it's not really worth that much. This is a lease. You're not going to get that much money for it. And something interesting here, if you've watched the films up to this point, Logan looks a lot different than we've seen him in the past. He looks he looks grizzled. He looks a little old. He wakes up coughing a little bit. Yep. And we sort of don't know what we're... This is, this is totally different from any Logan we've ever seen, yeah. right? And... And he's he's sort of being nice, right? As these people bother his his property, and somebody shoots him. One of these gang members shoot him, and they say something very disdainful, and they go back to doing what they're doing. I don't remember what they say exactly. My Spanish isn't very good, but Logan is laying on the ground. We know who he is, and so we we understand that this doesn't kill him. But it is taking him longer to get up than it has in any film since. Right. And he says, "Ah, shit!" And he gets up and begins again, guys. Come on, this isn't really worth it. We don't have to do with this. And this, of course, startles all the people. And what happens after this is maybe the most violent opening of a film I can ever remember. The, yeah. the, the people don't accept his entreaties to just walk away and they they attack him again and that starts to bring out the old Logan. He doesn't want to have this fight. It, what's one right. of the things that I think is really interesting? This is a different Logan than we've ever seen. He doesn't want to have this fight and he gets shot again and we see maybe for the first time really what has only been implied in other films. Logan's claws are disgusting weapons of really atrocious violence and as a filmmaker, I mean, as a filmmaker, as, as a comic book reader, and as somebody who's wanted to see Logan cut loose, I was I was shocked by how violent this scene was, uh, and and it and it starts bad, and it only gets worse as they push him farther and farther. So yeah. he's not as good as he used to be. We, you know, he's he's having trouble with these guys. They're 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 sometimes uh, getting him, and he's he's constantly saying, "Hey, let's not do this, guys." And he finally gets knocked down. And somebody's about to shoot him in the back of the head. And the only thing that he's asked is that they don't shoot his car because it's a lease and he's got to make a living. And right. I think this is the first time we really see the, the not the berserker, because we see the berserker in X-Men 2, but we see the consequences of the berserker because when they're about to shoot him in the head, he loses it and just erases these people. And Jason, I've talked a lot um, about this scene now, but what do you think of this moment? It well, I mean, it definitely gives it its R-rated. Mm -hmm. uh, it's R-rating. I I agree with you. I I think that even at this point, with Spawn, I mean, I mean, this is only 2017. This movie's not very old. No. That and for viewers of comic book films at this point, this uh, in fact, this might be a little bit underrated now in terms of of just how groundbreaking it was as kind of an adult comic film because because it is so violent. You quite rightly mentioned that it was the most violent opening to a to a comic film that you've ever seen but really we we had we ain't seen nothing yet no no we have not I mean, the film gets more violent so i think what the scene does and it's set up very well it's at nighttime you know in, in entering the film we don't really know anything yet you know we don't know why logan is older we don't know why as you said that he's he has a cough he seems to be sick he's not quite who he used to be we don't know why he's driving a limo we don't really know anything yet but i i think that, that there's kind of a, a dystopian element to this movie yes that this scene serves to establish very well and now we're not as the viewer we're not acclimated yet we're not plugged into what the hell's going on but this scene does a great job of giving us something to chew on and that's and that's logan driving a limousine and and basically just massacring all these people that are trying to take the uh hubcaps and tires of his of his vehicle and if i'm not mistaken doesn't one of them actually shoot the car yeah, it was, it was they're they're aiming at him. And he's like, no, not the car, not the car. He actually puts himself in the way of the car. Yeah, which establishes, and and this will continue to play out. Logan's trying to make a living at this point. Yeah, that's kind of all he's thinking about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. His priorities are are quite different than the last time we saw him. Even in this moment, now see, you just pointed out that he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want to kill these people, even though he knows that he could. But that's but even that's not his priority. This is not a moral thing that, that's happening. No, he no. Priorities going on. He's got to preserve this limo because he's that's trying to make. That's a living. Yeah. So for me, I, I agree with all that you just said. But to me, this 
scene begins to establish this weird dystopia. This is the, I think this is the most realistic dystopia we've seen in film. I really do. No, I, you know, I would agree with that. It's, it's not Hunger Games. It's not 1984. It's this, uh, haves and have nots apathy dominates the popular culture no cop comes anywhere near this scene right no cop shows up anywhere in this movie nothing there's it seems that it's it's almost like america become the soviet the modern soviet union right it's you get the sense that there's a lot of corruption that there's a lot of of people struggling to make a living in this there's no actual active fascistic authoritarian elements out there though there may be something like that that happens in there but that's not really the the problem the problem is is that people who have things don't care they're fine and so the people who don't it doesn't matter that seems to be the 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 thrust of this utopia uh, dystopia rather sorry i think the movie begins to establish that situation the other thing that the film establishes is sort of the profound sadness that logan has because after this fight we get this kind of uh i think it's a johnny cash tune i go i don't know but he's he's trying to address his wounds and he's standing next to a sink and the bullets are popping out of him as his body's pushing them out. We see also, I think for the first time too, one of the things that I've always dug about the comic book is that, yeah, Logan has this healing factor and it's all well and good, but he doesn't have a pain dampening factor. He has, uh-huh. to, he has to experience all of this and it looks miserable, you know? Yeah. Movie making trivia note, actor Hugh Jackman would dehydrate himself quite a lot anytime he would have to do these scenes where he didn't have a shirt so he would like not drink water for a couple days before doing these scenes so that he looked a little older and so that his skin just like hewed to all of his muscles this isn't the physique that we saw in the Wolverine the previous installment of these which is Hugh Jackman at his most athletic and spelt this is this is the physique of a person who's lived a hard life obviously very strong but but also almost living at the bleeding edge of existence, mm-hmm. it seems. And so I think that this begins to establish the kind of sadness that that I think characterizes the whole film. Yeah. Go ahead, say, say more, whatever you want to say. Well, I mean, it is a sadness. I would agree with that. I actually think that there's um, there's an emotional tone that's very different from other dystopian stories. And you know, maybe we can get into that a little bit a little bit later. Uh, we probably should set up um, right now exactly what's happening in Logan's life and what his current priorities are. From here, Logan addresses his wounds and then goes back out and then goes right back to doing what he's doing, which is making money. He's part of the gig economy. He's working for some company like Uber, probably, and he's driving people in, in fun spots. And we sort of see like a lot of his night and making money. And, yeah. and basically just putting up with these people who are living their own lives, who don't care about him and not necessarily that they should, but it, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting look into the world in which he lives, taking part, sometimes it's taking one person, sometimes it's taking parties here and there, you know, and having to put up with the people in his car. You know, you say put up with the people in his car, but actually this is the first glimpse of the, the, the really magnificent performances that are in this movie because... Ooh. So, so, so we do get a montage of basically Logan's uh, a series of ex- of his experiences and who's in his limousine. He's transporting a group of girls. I don't know if they're part of a wedding party or something, and they're they're just having a good time. And you know, he's not connected to them at all. He doesn't talk to them at all. He kind of smiles. They're at, they're having fun, and, and he kind of enjoys it. And it was just kind of a little moment where I kind of you know appreciate that as an actor, yeah. Huseman realized that okay, this guy's pretty miserable at this point you know he's just barely scraping away a living he, he, he's raising money for a purpose that we don't know yet but we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it in a minute but um you know he's not just intense all the time no he's no no a- He's able to be amused by people who he's not connected to, and he's not going to be connected to, uh, which which anyone would be. And uh, so his night of driving isn't all misery. I mean, there's some people who are yelling at you know poor people uh, th- that happens. Yeah. But then there's the wedding, there's the there's the bridal party, and and the thing that causes him to smile. 
He smiles, I think, three times in the movie. Yeah. I think three times. It's it's a trivia moment. It's a trivia note on IMDb, folks. And the bride says, hey, driver. And she pulls down her dress and flashes her boobs at, at Logan. And he thinks that's kind of funny. So you're right. I mean, like, he's not incapable of being amused by his people. His his night is probably like any driver's night. It's got ups and downs. And we see that. And it's it's a very real kind of moment. All of his moments in the limo are real are very real and establishing and grounding Logan's experience. After the montage, though, we see him at a hospital getting some medicine yes. that he has to pay for. And this is obviously an illicit situation. We see this from the perspective of somebody who's monitoring Logan. And so this happens after this happens after he gets accosted at a funeral. Oh, right. And so this woman's like, hey, you're the Wolverine. You're Logan. And he's like, get away from me, fucking woman. And she's like, you're here. And she basically tries to remind him of who he used to be. And she's trying to enlist his help. And he's like, ah, I don't do that shit anymore. Get the fuck away from me. And he's pretty rude to her. In the comic book, folks, in the Mark Mylar Old Man Logan comic book, Logan is actually at Victor Creed's funeral in the comic book. Victor Creed, that is to say Sabretooth. And Logan goes to the funeral mostly just to kind of close a loop, I guess, uh, uh, his own, you know, story arc, his own history, I guess, with this guy. And uh, there's some kind of funny, bitter reflections by Logan here, because at the end of Creed's life, he tried to find redemption. He'd found Jesus and and uh, tried to be a nice guy before biting the bullet and dying. I figure I'll go for the life of sin, followed by the presto change of death ever pins. Wow, that's a good angle. But anyway, that's not what's happening here. He's just doing another gig, taking somebody from a funeral in a limo, to and from a limo. Which is his focus because he dismisses her. He gets into the trunk, gets a, an umbrella out. Yes. To, to to usher his customer. Yep. Because he's he's working the job. He's trying Absolutely. to job. He's trying to, he's working hard. And he just wants this lady to go away. He doesn't even seem to question the fact that she knows who he is. No, he doesn't. No, no, none of that matters. None of, none of that old shit matters to him at all and and i mean wolverine is all about this 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 job that he's got and uh, and from there we go to the hospital where he, he picks up some uh, prescription medicine he has to cross into the border uh, oh part pardon me hold on i may be missing a step when he gets into the car the guy who's watching him is in his limo and this is a nice moment because Logan is as dismissive of this guy as he was of the woman who was asking for his help, right? right? He's like, hey, is a woman coming and talk to you? And he's like, fuck you, get out of my car. He doesn't, doesn't want to get involved with the woman, doesn't want to help this guy out. Leave me the fuck alone is Logan's life. He's basically the Hulk at this moment. Leave Hulk alone. Hulk just want to be alone. But that's not the case with Logan. But he does want all of these people to keep him out of their business. So the guy was like, so did this woman, Gabriel, Gab Gabriella, come and talk to you? And Logan's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Get the fuck out of my car. But then the guy realized, the, the guy reveals that he knows a little bit about Logan's life. Somebody's keeping tabs on Logan because he knows that Logan is going to go talk to Xavier, I think. He mentions that in this scene. Yeah, yeah. That upsets Logan a lot more. That gets more of a rise out of Logan than anybody else accosting him. The guy gets out, says some, says some things. Oh, I've always been a fan, Logan. I've always been a fan. The guy, I don't know who this actor is, but he is very successful at making me, the viewer, hate him. Yes. He tries to establish this connection with Logan. He tries to sweet talk Logan. And that just that is something that is not going to work in any iteration of this character, right? Right. And so it's kind of nice to watch that fail and, and to watch these two actors deliver this 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 scene but the guy gets out leaves logan his card which logan doesn't want doesn't take from him, so the guy just tosses it in the seat logan goes across the border into mexico and to where he's at where he's living now again we see this sort of dystopia a lot of people are just barely making it it seems yeah. in this world logan is living in some you know uh, it's almost like one, one thinks he might be squatting. Well, we learn actually that he is squatting. He and his charges, I suppose we would say, his the people that he looks after uh, are squatting on this, on this property. He looks after the professor. Yes. Caliban seems to be a person who is helping him out. That's right, that's right. And we kind of wonder why Caliban is doing this based on the way that Logan treats him. Sidebar. Caliban was created by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum way back in issue 148 of the X-Men, which would have been in the early 80s. Caliban is a member of 
a group of mutants called the Morlocks, which were even more outcast than most mutants in the Marvel Universe. They were mutants that were very noticeably different from normal humans. They couldn't pass for normal people, so they secreted themselves in the tunnels below New York City, which is what you do, I guess, in such situations. Caliban's main power is that he can sense other mutants from great distances so he can track them down, and that's all I got. So into the sidebar. Well, yes, yes. So, so Logan gets to uh, Mexico. We 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 establish that there's somebody that, 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 that there's another person uh, hanging out with him, and that's a character from previous movies, from I think Age of Apocalypse, the movie from Caliban. Ooh, I don't remember. Okay, yeah. We don't get much about their history just yet. Caliban says he's worse than usual. We needed this medicine two days ago. Fine. Well, we come to find out is Caliban and Logan are taking care of Professor X, and Professor X needs medication, and that if he doesn't get it, he's a problem. Yeah. Professor X is aging. And so Logan and Caliban, there's a lot of tension. Logan's been gone for a while, racking up, trying to make this money. And Caliban is is voicing his his anger about this. Now, Caliban is also a mutant. He's an albino. He has a lot of trouble with the sun. We see that he's always covering up in the sun. He says, look, Logan, you have got to go give him the medicine. I can't deal with him right now. I can't do this. And so Logan goes into what James Mangle called in the script, the dark Cerebro, which is this old water tower that's fallen over. And Cerebro audience, you may remember if you haven't seen it, Audience, if you've seen these films, you know what Cerebro is. If you don't, audience, if you haven't seen this and you, you're like, uh, why am I, I want to know about this Logan movie. I've never seen an X-Men film in my life, but these guys, Max and Jason, talk about movies and I like that, so I'm going to listen to this. So if you've never seen an X-Men film, okay, I'm going to explain Cerebro to you. Cerebro was a device that basically focused uh, psychic energy uh, into Professor X, who is a telepath. That is to say, a person who can read thoughts and, and can and can communicate via thought. Uh, it, it could focus this mental energy to his brain. Now, this this place where, where Caliban and Logan are storing Professor X all the time, it seems, is some place that blocks that out. He can't hear it as well as he used to in this room, in this dark cerebro. Though there are a lot of holes, which Caliban mentions. He's like, he says, he's talking to somebody again there are a lot of holes in that in that water tower and and so caliban's worried that professor x is going to act up in a big way and caliban is scared of that we don't know why yet but then logan comes in to give charles his medicine and they have the fight and this establishes what kind of movie we're about to see this is a very human x-men story what we see here is the great man professor xavier is hitting his dotage he is getting older he's, yeah. he's diminishing what you see here is this almost father son interaction of a, of a son trying to take care of their ailing father who was once a giant and and now is having issues he, he doesn't doesn't track things as well as he used to his faculties aren't what they once were and he has episodes yeah right and like seizures yes 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 and sadly i mean like i mean you and i are of an age where we've seen these kinds of fights you know at least if we haven't experienced them ourselves then we've seen our our, our parents have them with their parents right, right. um i know that I, i've seen this my dad dealing with his dad towards the end of my my grandpa's life and sometimes it can be fraught right and we see this really just I don't know, almost almost too honest uh fight very true patrick stewart's xavier in this moment is sort of throwing a tantrum because he, he can't do what he used to do and he wants to do what he used to do so he's not listening to logan he's storming around the dark cerebro in his wheelchair and he doesn't want to take his medicine because it makes him feel uneasy and anybody who's worked in mental health has seen this interaction jason you've seen this interaction i've seen this interaction and the fight actually reveals what the danger is now folks if you haven't seen a fucking x-men movie charles xavier is the most powerful telepath on planet earth and this poses a problem when his faculties are diminishing as they fight uh charles pushes away from logan and he falls over and has his seizure and it almost kills caliban and it hurts logan really badly because when charles has a seizure doesn't just affect charles it affects fucking everyone around for who knows how great a distance yeah you know when 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 logan comes in to to deal with him because caliban doesn't want to do it you and you kind of get the sense that caliban has had to do yeah it. and i think this scene does a very good job of demonstrating why caliban is so pissed off oh yeah 
because this is not a pleasant task. No, no, no. So, so this is even, it's not a pleasant task before Professor X has his seizure, right? Right, right, right. The other thing that's affecting Caliban, and this is also true of, of some mental health work, Caliban's kind of scared of, of the patient he has to deal with, right? Right. We see why in this scene, because when the wheelchair falls over and Professor X hits the ground, he has a seizure. Like I said, it nearly kills Caliban, and Logan is reduced to crawling across the ground to administer the medication to Charles. And, and, I, and I assume in the film, I assume that the only reason that Logan can respond quicker than everybody else is because of his healing factor. That, that, that's what I get. That's what I get. Um, And, and Caliban says this just before he goes in or no he says it after i'm sorry but one of the neat things about this effect is that instead of so james mangold had this neat idea about how to do this effect instead of having logan that is to say hugh jackman act like he was being pushed away from charles by this 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 psychic energy this telepathic energy they attached a bunch of resistance bands to logan and so it's so hugh jackman so he would actually have to fight to get like physically literally expend energy to get to Charles because they were they had these like uh, you know strong elastic bands pulling him back and he had to basically really struggle to get to them anytime they did the the this effect for Laura and uh, the actress who played Laura and uh, and Daphne Keene and, and Hugh Jackman they would attach these resistance bands to them to make them actually like fight and struggle to get to Charles so that way they don't have to like uh, Star Trek the original series it with you know people pretending to be you know thrown about but so so this happens Charles has an episode the the dark cerebro also limits the 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 distance I think of this effect but it doesn't doesn't keep Caliban safe it doesn't do enough to keep him safe because we see him and he is frozen in place when when yeah. Charles has these episodes something bad is happening to the brains of people that it affects yeah and that's why that's why Caliban is actually really pissed yes for not taking this seriously enough it's been two days Logan is two days late with the medicine and when Logan comes out we get the backstory here Caliban says look you asked me to come help with Professor X and I, I'm I'm happy to do it but I can't help if you don't talk to me and and this is where we learn that Logan is keeping things from Caliban you're sick I don't know what's wrong with you but you I, I know that you're 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 not well you're not what you used to be now I can't take care of Professor I can't take care of Charles and I can't help you if you don't help me that's basically the argument that they have and I feel really bad for Caliban and we find out later that Caliban has some guilt and that's why one of the reasons why he's decided to help Professor X and, and Logan yeah. but Caliban says in this scene where they're having the argument i almost died today this almost killed me that's the that's the first clue that we get about the past yeah this episode almost killed me yada 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 logan goes goes back about his business he's like sorry then he doesn't say sorry logan actually ends up like basically telling caliban to fuck off and leave me alone logan is not the most grateful person at this point no no and is this the point where Logan says, look, I'm trying to make money. Uh, I want to get this, this, I'm going to get this sun ship, the sunspot. I think this is the name of the, 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 uh, the boat that he wants to get, which by the way, is the name of a new mutant that we will meet later in this, in this film. If I've got that right, if it is the sunspot. If not, disregard what I just said, audience. But but I mean, Caliban's like, oh yeah, me and you and Charles on a fucking boat uh, in the middle of the ocean. I'm a fucking albino. I'm going to skulk around under deck all day, Logan. So Caliban realizes too that there is an end point to their association. Like Logan and Xavier are going to go off on this boat at some point, and Caliban's not going to go with them. And, and and even as bitter as I think Caliban is at Logan right now, it's not. It it comes from a point, and the actor who plays Caliban, uh, gosh. I'm me get his name here i want to give him some credit here he actually plays caliban uh stephen merchant delivers this speech that he gives logan it's a play it's from a place of deep caring about both logan and xavier i think did you get that like he cares about yeah, both oh, yeah. but like you said logan doesn't apologize and he goes back to gigging and he goes to pick up somebody and wouldn't you know it this gabriella has tricked him into coming and picking her up and that's so she can give him hey you got to help me out uh, these bad guys are going to get this girl. They're going to come get her and you got to help me out. And Logan again reiterates, I don't do that. Leave me alone, basically. And he, he leaves them only to find out later of course, that he gets a call back from her, right? He gets a text back from her to come get her. Or there's some there's some issue. I need your help. And he can't, right. huh? Yeah. 
come quick. Like she's yeah, yeah. very urgent. And he does. Yeah. He does come quick and finds her unable to breathe because her throat's been cut. And he finds some, he finds the money that she had offered him, finds a yeah. videotape and doesn't find the girl. Right. And drives back to Mexico. And he's a little panicked because he knows that that these bad guys know about him and Xavier and whatnot. Sorry, I left something out. Xavier keeps telling him that he's talking to somebody. He tells Caliban this too. And we're going to find out more about that later on. But is there anything that stood out to you here? I mean, is this just standard thriller filmmaking, uh, you know? Well, well, see, you say thriller. I I think it's a bit bit film noir-ish. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. uh, Because Logan, you know, he's, you know, he's not engaged in any kind of action at this point. He's just going about his business business but he's kind of getting embroiled in something that he doesn't intend to yeah and you know i mean i, I am aware that that, that um, a lot of people see this film as a western I well, and, 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 and we'll get to that but at this point there's something very film noir about this you know you know you've kind of got the private eye you know the man of action who, who's kind of an, a lone wolf and does his own thing but there's this woman that needs his help and she doesn't explain why and he's got to kind of figure that out and she's she's staying at a you know kind of a low a low rate motel that's how all this kind of feels to me well yeah i think that your identification of a noir is quite right and in fact on the dvd set that i have the blu-ray dvd set um and you can get this also on on the digital uh streaming copies that you can buy for this james mangold released a black and white cut of this movie as well called logan noir yeah yeah so your, your identification of the noir sensibilities of the film is like spot on uh logan panics goes back across the border to i think he's he's gonna jump the gun he's gonna try and get charles and caliban out of there now because they've been exposed and it's at that point that he realizes he has a stowaway i had a stowaway in his car because laura is laura the girl who gabriella wants him to take care of she says i need you in the hotel where when she tries to get him to pick him up i need you to get us to dakota south dakota um because we need to get close to the or north dakota we need to get close to the canadian border logan is basically i don't need the shit and anyway so that's what happened earlier anyway laura had escaped the killers of gabriella it seems and gotten or she'd escaped earlier that night the night before that's sort of what i suspected actually when she first when when logan first went there i suspect she got it in the trunk yeah and so she wasn't there when the people came and killed Gabrielle. Yeah. Logan takes the, the 30,000 that she promises and the video of uh, that she left and abscond. Audience, I encourage you to use the word abscond. Anyway, Logan sees that there's been somebody in his trunk. He There's a little backpack. It's a cute little backpack. And he goes, oh my God, the girl's here. And he knows that if she's here, the bad guys won't be far behind. Right. And he goes and finds Professor X being Professor X with this scared, shy little girl. Yeah, and he's very excited. He is very excited. This is Logan. Logan, this is the girl I've been talking. I've been telling you about. And and Logan is just like one of the things that Hugh Jackman portrays here is sort of this. Well, that's it. We're in it now, and it's it's something he didn't want because his whole goal was to take care of Charles, and, and he doesn't take Charles' uh, intuitions very seriously at this point. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Now, is this now? Does he discover the girl before or after he has Caliban take that guy who sat in his car what's the guy's name pierce the guy pierce does he what's that it's after because when when he confronts pierce or when pierce confronts him he does know the girl's there that's right that's right so so he's trying to cover it up yeah uh, which is not hard for him because he's not invested in anything no 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 but it it doesn't work it doesn't work so so pierce is like hey that little girl here logan you know yada 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 and uh logan knocks pierce out says says to caliban hey take him just dump him in the desert you know, somebody will find him, come back. Which, by the way, and I don't want to say this is a flaw of the movie. Yeah. Um, but this is a mistake by Logan. It is. It is. Uh, because because um, he sets Caliban up for failure. Because I felt that either A, Logan should have done it himself, or B, he should have finished him off. And yeah. Sure and and, and, I, and the reason why I agree with you that this isn't a, a mark of failure of the film is what Logan seems to be engaged in at this point is damage control. He's trying not to get involved. He's trying to keep he, Caliban, and Xavier out of this mess. Right. And so at this point, Logan's 
still is under the illusion that he can stop what's coming. Yeah, but his decision in this moment actually exacerbates everything. Oh, it, it, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Like, and and it's just a mistake, and and it doesn't seem like a it doesn't seem like a let's move the plot along mistake. Right. You know? um, so yeah, it doesn't work out for Caliban. Caliban gets gets the shit turned around on him, and he gets caught. And while that's happening, the Logan is discovering Charles uh, and Laura, you know, hanging out and uh, really getting on, right? Because Charles has been talking to her for some time, and the medicine that, that they've been giving Charles has not been as effective as they thought it was. Right. In part, we learn because Logan can't always read the labels that these fucking shady people give him. But Logan hears all these people, he sees this big column of bad trucks coming, and he's like, well, fuck, fuck, fuck. And he's still trying, he's still playing damage control, right? And he's, he's like trying to get Charles into the car. Uh, so he immediately ushers Charles out. He picks Charles up and he's like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. He puts Charles in the limo. He leaves Laura alone in the factory where they live. And because that's not his priority right now. Not his priority. Doesn't really want to get involved. And this is, this is probably the lowest point we see Logan morally, I think, you know, because he's not really, he's not seeing the big picture necessarily, right? Well, well, I mean, Logan would never really leave someone out to dry unless he was really desperate. Yeah, yeah. He, and he knows he's in the shit. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not what he used to be. And in fact, like, uh, when these people start to hang him up a little bit, he fights with them, right? And he starts to kind of take the, he does, he's not quite doing as well as he did with those uh, gangbangers at the beginning of the movie. They subdue him a little bit, I think. And yeah. they, they send they send some people in to get Laura. How does that go? It doesn't go as well as they thought it was going to go. <laughs> Logan doesn't know what to expect. They're going to get the girl. What what I get from this scene is what I, Logan is hoping that they'll take the girl and they'll just leave. You know, yeah. he attacks them because they've got Caliban and they ha they won't give him back. Yeah, I mean, so actually, I think he does know what to expect. Yeah, I think you're quite right that you know he's hoping that they'll just take her and leave, but he's expecting that they're all going to die. That, that's probably true. He's not expecting what's going to happen. Yes, yes, yes. And so the bad guys go in to collect Laura. They have handcuffs and they have not read the brief. <laughs> this guy walks up to Laura with handcuffs like it's going to be a, a, a an easy thing. And from outside, everybody hears some screaming and some gunfire. And then Laura comes moseying out carrying something and we don't see what it is at first. we don't see exactly what it is and and pierce is talking to the girl now 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 he's talking to her i don't know if he calls her laura and you calm down now and she throws the head of one of those people at them and and then she she kills a couple more and then they start shooting at her and all of their attention goes on catching her and that that kicks off our next major action beat, which is bloodier and worse than the beat at the beginning of the movie, right? And this sort of goes to something that our our, our guest host talked about in the earlier film. Sometimes it's more horrifying when it's a little kid killing everyone. Yes, and but actually, you know, it's something that this is done so well that I didn't even notice this. Is that this could have looked really bad? Oh God, yeah. And not only does it not look bad, but I never even questioned whether or not it, it looked. Bad. This might be my favorite action scene in the whole movie. It might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, it's breathtaking. Um, the, 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 the choreography works to perfection. It's edge of your seat because as we'll get to in a second, the the escape or the attempt to escape is um, feels kind of real. Well, yeah, it's, things don't go as planned necessarily. Logan has some ideas about how to do it. He's going to leave her even here. He's, he's trying to drive off. And she, uh, through her killing spree and his killing spree, she manages to get on the car. He doesn't try and get her out, but it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't his priority. Xavier is his priority. That's his only priority. And I, it's interesting. You're right. He can't help Caliban right now. He knows that. But his, his, his whole well, thing. He thinks Caliban's dead. Know that. But that is what he's been told. Yeah. And so his whole goal is to get Xavier out. Now, when the girl gets in the car, that's fine. That's she's part of it. He's not going to throw her out. He's not going to stop because he's just got to get away. Now, like the first gate crash doesn't work. They get hung up. Hey, that's that's the part that I wanted to linger on because this is a very suspenseful, very thrilling scene. And there's it's it's one of the things that's very admirable about admirable about this movie is that he guns the limo. He he's heading right uh, for the the gate or the fence. Well, it's the fence. It's not the gate. It's the fence. Yeah. It's the fence. But in almost any other movie that's ever been made, yes, there's a clean break. The fence just explodes. You know. At, and 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 the car drives off into the sunset, and and he guns it well, uh, good enough. Yeah, yeah. 
that we think it's going to work. And instead, the gate kind of gives a little bit and then and then he can't get free. The baddies are coming up behind him. It's a very suspenseful moment. Yep. So this film does two things. It's very suspenseful. It's very edge of your seat. And it's very realistic. And it's not cliched because we know that in most scenes, oh, he's going to bust right through that and drive away. And the bad guys are just going to shoot at him as he disappears into the, yep. you know, into the distance. Oh, it doesn't happen. Oh, like, yeah. And so, and so, so as the audience, we're stuck with more violence, and because they can't get away, so he has to hit reverse. And there's, there's the other thing that happens too that isn't always as well done in in these kinds of big action movie films. There's a lot of emotional content, and we're getting a lot of like character development over the course of this scene because as they start shooting up the limo, Laura. X23 leaps over Professor X and takes a bunch of rounds for him. She covers him. And I remember thinking that does a lot to establish how long these two have been in communication. Yeah. She already sees him as an important caregiver. And we're going to see how close they, how, how grandfatherly or, or, or fatherly she views Xavier right later on. But this is the first inkling that she, she already cares a lot about Xavier. A guy jumps on the back of the car. <laughs> this is one of my favorite beats in the film. The guy's like, his face is right framed and he's about to maybe shoot into the car. And she punches her claws through the glass right by Charles's head and, and blood, you know, covers the, uh, the back windshield. Um, and, and there's more harrowing stuff that happens. And they, Logan actually ends up dragging a bunch of the fence away from that failed attempt to bust through the fence and kill some people with that. We get some more great, great stuff in this, in this scene, but you're right because it's fresh and because it's new, it's all stuff we don't, we don't really expect. There's a, there's a crazy scene where he basically cuts off a car and almost gets them killed himself by cutting, by cutting in front of a train. This is why it's the best action uh, scene in the movie, because that scene where he's trying to outrace the train, which is in itself a little bit cliched, but the payoff is so good. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the bad guys, folks. By the way, in the in the credits, these guys are billed as the Reavers, and the Reavers were some uh, in the comic book. The Reavers were a bunch of people that had fought Logan before and came out like normal humans come out when you when you meet Logan. So they were missing limbs, and so they were all cyborgs and stuff like that. So they all had like cybernetic limbs that Logan had taken in previous battles. So the Reavers were all people who Logan had made involuntary amputees. But anyway, they're billed as Reavers. It's a little bit of fan service. And they, a lot of them do have those kinds of cybernetic enhancements. But no, this is, I mean, even when they even when they beat the train, though, they get hit by the train a little bit. It, it sends the Cadillac limo spinning a little bit. It's all really harrowing. And they, they make their escape. And I think here we get some more plot furtherance while, where Logan and Xavier kind of talk about what's going on. Logan explains what, what, what Laura's caregiver, Gabrielle, wanted. He still doesn't know what's happened to her. And Xavier is like, well, we got to take her to South Dakota. That's what North Dakota. That's what we do. She asked, she needs our help. We got to do it. Logan doesn't want to do it. While they're talking, it's kind of neat. Laura's on a little uh, coin-operated horsey ride, right? Just something that you'd see out in front of a drugstore or something. And she's a. It stops, and she's getting mad. Right. Logan and, and Xavier notice this only as they're going in because Logan's got to help uh, Xavier take care of his his bathroom duties. Again, a very real kind of thing that an old that a son might have to do for an older parent. And Laura's about to destroy this, <laughs> this poor horsey ride when, when Logan puts a quarter in. He's like, just calm down. It's fine. And we, but we see more of that bickering between father and son, basically, in the bathroom. You don't have to stand there. Yes, I do, Charles. You can't do this on your own. I got to help you get off there and get onto your wheelchair or whatever. Lots of bickering but through that you can see that that there is that they have kind of become father and son haven't they in some ways they kind of always were it's true it's true yeah but here we're seeing that completed that that storyline that that friendship that that uh father son kind of love in all of its positive and negative because logan's very devoted to him Um, but Charles is not always encouraging or appreciative of Logan. No, no. No, no granted, I, I, I do think that it was in one of his uh, uh, kind of moments where, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily very lucid, but he, he tells him that he's a disappointment. Yes, yes. Yes, he does. He does. He does. 
because he says that and he also is, and I think in that scene where uh, I think that might be the first moment you're talking about an earlier scene where he says that and um, and, and, and and Charles says something like I, I, I always recognize you Logan but I don't, I don't always know who you are he says something like that you know yeah yeah and the, the problem with these bars that come out is that yes it's a person in distress lashing out but they know each other enough that the barbs have enough truth in them that they hurt each other a lot right. you know and and that's the trouble with with some of this stuff you know but and it's not just them and this is anybody in these situations and so i think that the film does a great job of capturing that but anyway they uh they go to uh they're they're, they're getting gas and doing things that they need to do they probably need a new car eventually because their limo is full of bullet holes while they're while they're having their talk laura's going around just eating things in this this dairy mart right she demonstrates how little social skills she has you know uh, if logan is bad she is worse at social skills because this poor clerk is like oh hey where's your dad you got to pay for that stuff you know well here give me that you can't leave you got to give me that and she she ends up hurling this poor poor fellow to the ground and nearly killing him over pringles and logan luckily intervenes and is like, hey sorry guy and uh, they 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 skedaddle off to las vegas no, he apologizes, and then do you have a phone charger? <laughs> and then and then continues to uh, rob the convenience store. That's right. I mean, the only thing he was really sorry about was that 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 she he'd almost been killed, but they were going to take what they needed. Hey, audience, this is Max. This is where we're going to end it for part one of our Logan discussion and review. Be back next week for part two, where we will conclude our discussion of Logan. Uh, in the meantime, if you like the show, uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps uh, get the show noticed. Share us on all the things, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams. Uh, text us to your friends uh, and share us wherever else you share things. Uh, you can reach me at lordmovies39 at gmail.com or you can hit me up at the Supper Test on Twitter. And you can reach out and tell us what we should cover next. You can tell us where, we, where you think we were wrong. And let us know what you thought of these movies. In the meantime, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye! Did you know the future of those assholes in the bar? I know they are going to die. We are all going to die. You said they would die in the same truck in a week. If you're right, that's quite a talent. We don't know how close. So do I die on this plane? No. Not on this plane. <laughs>